about our March break. And, you know, it's not really bragging, right? It's, it's the fact that we're excited about what we're doing and we want to share that excitement with other people. But I loved one post this week said, that this person said, I thought I would join in and post about my Facebook March break experiences. And then they posted a picture of themselves at work. And they said, no, don't be jealous. Try not to be jealous. But we do that because we're excited. We post things because we're excited. We put things on Facebook because we want to share. We want you to be excited about what we're excited about. And so we get a new puppy and we want to make sure that... Now, I understand this is not a sermon about appropriateness. Some of you need to post a whole lot less. And some of you could maybe post a little more. I don't know. But not everything is worthy of Facebook. But you get this cute puppy and you're all excited about it. And so you want to make sure that other people share that excitement. And so you put it on Facebook. What is happening in our lives, we want to share. And that's an exciting thing about growing. And it happens with us. It happens with us in our faith. I would like to head to Matthew chapter 28 for a moment. Because Matthew 28 talks about this whole concept of growing and sharing. Jesus says in Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. When we first started talking about this concept of one of the landmarks for us, we talk about words like discipleship and evangelism, which a lot of us would know what those words mean, and many of us might not. And so we talked about, how about let's use the word growing and sharing, because most of us know what those words are. And we thought about them kind of as two separate landmarks, growing discipleship, learning and being maturing in your faith, sharing or evangelism, talking about your faith to other people. And as we discuss that together, we realize that really you can't have one without the other. Growing and sharing are actually two sides to one beautiful story about what God is doing in our lives. And as we mature in our faith, and as we grow in our faith, and as we experience things in our faith, we want to share that. And the best way of sharing is to share what is going on in us, to share what God is doing in our hearts. Some people are so afraid of evangelism. Oh, I could never do that, Pastor. I could never share my faith. I could never share the plan of salvation and and lead someone to the Lord. And I tell you, yes, you can. Do you know why? Because you have a story. You can share what God has done in you. And by sharing what God has done in you, you are elevating him in your story. And when the Bible says that when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. That's what he means. Men and women coming to know Jesus because of your story. Because of what he has done in you. Now some of your stories are amazing, radical stories where you have lived your life and you've experienced some pretty traumatic things, you've experienced some pretty bad things, you've done some pretty bad things and paid the price for that and Jesus has come into your life and you have an amazing story to tell. I was here 
and now I'm here, and look what God has done in my life. Some of us grew up in the church, and our story wouldn't be that extreme, but it is just as powerful. Because I can say, look what God has saved me from. And God does that, I think, in an amazing way because he relates us to other people. And I, I don't mind pointing. Did you know that you guys can reach people that I never could? Never. Like, I could come up and talk to them and be like, <laughs> there's one guy that doesn't know what he's talking about. And yet you guys can express what God has done in your life. And the power of that story and that connection. And I can say the same over here. And I'm not going to point at anybody. I don't have any specific person in mind. But your story can touch somebody else. Because you relate and you have those connections with other people. How about you? Do you have a story to tell? Has God done something in your life? I don't want to leave this section out. How about you? What about your story? Have you ever experienced anything in your faith? Have you seen God move? Have you seen God move you from here to here or saved you from? Because as you express that story, you are doing what Matthew 28 says. Because literally, instead of just saying, go ye therefore, the Greek can actually sort of be translated in this phrase, kind of, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. As you are going, and I like that translation a little bit better, because we are an as you are going people. We don't just sit here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When I'm finished and we're, we're going to celebrate and worship a little bit at the end, and then you are going. And did you know that most of the salvations that happen in churches, most of those times when people come to know Jesus as their Savior, who didn't and now they do, doesn't happen in this 20 minutes or so. It doesn't happen just as an expression of my speaking and then people flooding to the altars and coming to know Jesus. In fact, statistics say that only about 6% of the people who accept Jesus as their Savior, only about 6% happen because they've responded to a message from somebody speaking from a platform. About 84% happen because somebody took the time to get to know them and invest time in them and share their story with them and share Jesus. 84% of all salvations are relational. Do you know what that means? That means that the power out there is where it's really at, isn't it? You're sharing your story. You're connecting with people who don't know Jesus. You're expressing your faith in action. It's much more effective at bringing people to know Jesus. Go ye therefore, as you are going into the world, make disciples. Do you see what it says though? It's so beautiful. Certainly, we have the understanding of baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
Did you know that we don't just make Christian babies and then leave them all by themselves and say, now you've come to know Jesus, you've accepted him as your savior, now fend for yourself. None of us would do that with real babies, would we? Would we just watch our wife give birth to a child and then just kind of put the child on a shelf somewhere and say, you know, make sure you, you eat two or three times a day and make sure you change yourself and all that, but now we're off to the other things in life and you fend for yourself. We would never, ever do that. The Bible talks about the fact that as we come alongside others on their journey, we gently nudge them toward Christ. As you are going into the world, make disciples of all people. Baptize them and teach them to obey the things that I've taught you. I had a dream a couple of nights ago. It was so vivid. It wasn't here at this church. It was kind of at a a hall, a big room, and I was preaching and, and I was talking to a group and then some teenager came in and they came in the back and they used language that even in my dream troubled me. And they were very expressive in their foul language. And some people kind of came up and and began to take this person and kind of escort them sort of out of the room. And I remember in my dream, I was really incensed by that. And I stopped my preaching and I looked at the back and said, this teenager deserves to be here. Don't make them leave. This is a place for them. It troubled me. It woke me up. I don't remember all of my dreams. But I thought, you know, isn't that so true about the church? The church is for us who are growing and maturing, and every one of us are not exempt from that journey. Whether you've been a Christian for five days or for 55 years, you are still growing in your faith. You are still maturing, and there is work to be done. You know what my dream and vision for Journey is? That we have mature Christians, maturing Christians, extremely immature Christians, and non-Christians all alike, together worshiping, together learning how to worship, together being confronted by the fact that as a non-Christian, I'm not even sure if I can worship, but I'm intrigued by this thing and I want to be on this journey. I want Journey to be a place where you feel comfortable being here Not comfortable with the content, but comfortable being here, welcomed here, whether you agree with us or whether you don't. I want you to be comfortable here, not comfortable with the content, but comfortable here, whether you are against what we believe in or whether you aren't. This is a place of safety This is a place where you can come and you can be confronted by the one thing that should offend you, which is the true gospel message of Jesus Christ, which is that every one of us need redemption. Every one of us need a savior. Every one of us have been on a path that was against God and we have turned toward him and received his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. And then we're on a journey. So every once in a while, in the lobby, there might be some foul language. And we teach. And we come alongside of other people on their journey. 
and we gently nudge them toward Christ. Every once in a while, as we're rubbing shoulders with people in ministry, we may be uncomfortable with how mature that person is in their faith. And we may begin to think, I'm not there yet. And we may begin to try to compare ourselves with them, but let's quickly realize that we're all on a journey and we're all growing. And today, if you are brand new on this journey, if you are a, a young Christian and things are just sort of starting to make sense and you don't have it all together, can I tell you that you are in good company? Wouldn't that be true? Would there be anybody who would be able to stand up this morning and say, I have it all together? Let me get down first before I ask that question. Anybody willing to stand and come front and say, I have it all together, I know all the answers, I've figured this faith thing 100% out. We don't have any takers because we don't have anybody who has it all figured out. But you know what's exciting? I have it more figured out today than I did a year ago. And I have it a whole lot more figured out today than I did 10 years ago. And I've watched some of you grow, and you have it more figured out today than you did a week ago, or a month ago, or a year ago, or 10 years ago. As you are going into the world, make disciples of all people. Share your story, because your story is powerful. Because Jesus has done and is doing something amazing in you. And that's why growing and sharing really can't be separated because it is in the sharing that you actually continue to grow. And it is in the growing that you want to share what God is doing in your life. And so keep up the good work. But Matthew chapter 11 also gives us this insight Because Jesus, again speaking in Matthew 11, starting to read at verse 28, says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There's this theory about the fact that the Jews at that time would call an expression or a summary or an interpretation of how to obey the Torah, they used to call that the yoke of the Torah. And the yoke of the Torah was this particular rabbi's expression of how to live out approval or live out the Torah and how to to please God. And then this rabbi over here would have just a different yoke And it would be his interpretation about how to live out the law of God. And then over here, there'd be another rabbi who was teaching, and and this was their expression of how to live out the Torah. And just as what happens in the church today, when too many of us express our own personal interpretations and try to drive people to look and smell and act just like me, it gets a little burdensome. And we need to remember that Jesus is saying to us, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Did you notice that it doesn't say, come to Matt Maxwell and his personal expression of what it is? Now, I'm not afraid to share what I believe. I'm not afraid to share my interpretation about how my faith experience is growing and maturing and how I can please God. But understand, the central place that we need to go to figure out how to live for Jesus is to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And it was weariful. It was wearisome. It was heavy to listen. Which rabbi should I obey? Which rabbi should I believe in? And Jesus says, I have a yoke. I have an expression of how to honor the Father. I have an interpretation. Now, whose interpretation would you rather? If Jesus was standing here and I was standing over here, and he and I were going to do the, the, the button vote. Everybody had a button, and you either vote Maxwell or Jesus. And we're going to look at the Torah, the law of God, and I'm going to tell you what I think you should do to obey that. And Jesus is going to be here, and he's going to express to you what he thinks. Let's just have a show of hands. Who would vote for me over Jesus? Come on. Nobody? Who would vote for Jesus over me? Yeah, because Jesus, we believe, is God. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all wrapped up in this beautiful Godhead relationship. God the Son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, Mary. He was kind of part of the whole deal when it was all written. He was a part of the whole deal when all this was made. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he looks around at people who are so weary by all of the different interpretations about how we should obey and he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Take off the other yokes because you have to take off them to put on another one. Take off all those other yokes. He says, take my yoke upon you. What a beautiful understanding that is when we realize that we can come to Jesus and learn and experience and grow. Learn from me, he says. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Does anybody remember that teacher? You know, growing up, it could have been in elementary school, middle school, could have been high school, could have been in university. That teacher, the one that actually made you hate school. Is there an image? For me, I don't think she's maybe even alive anymore, and she probably was an amazing person. Mrs. Parker. Even saying her name just gives me chills. Mrs. Parker had one arm, the other arm, she had a prosthetic arm, but she didn't have like a hand, she had this kind of clamp thing, and now I'm old, and so those of you who are younger, you understand like, teachers don't do this anymore, but when you were misbehaving, Mrs. Parker would come over, and she would put that hook on your head and squeeze, and it actually hurt I don't know how I know that. <laughs> now that I'm saying that, I'm kind of admitting that I was in trouble. 
And so Mrs. Parker just put the fear of God in me. Can you remember those teachers? The ones that you think should have retired 30 years ago? Not because they're old, but just because they don't really seem to like teaching. And they don't really seem to like kids. I remember when Suzanne was early in her career, she was saying, man, if some of these teachers that don't really like to teach would get out of the way and let some of us younger kids get in and teach, wouldn't it be awesome? Now, that's another separate sermon about if you're in the middle of life, you should kind of embrace the joy no matter what station you're in. But that's a separate one that you can get some other time. But Jesus comes alongside of us and says, let me be your teacher. Let me be your rabbi. Put my yoke upon you. Because I'm going to be hard-nosed and I'm going to make sure you toe the line and every time you step sideways, I'm going to grab that claw right on top of your head and squeeze till it hurts. Is that what Jesus says to us? Now look at what he says. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Now this Christian journey is tough. And there are times when I'm confronted with sin and I'm not necessarily at ease, but when I work through that, when I allow God to teach me, when I allow God to mold me, when I give him my mistakes and my sins, when I give him my failures and my missteps, and I say to him, Jesus, here it is. In all of its grossness, here it is. And he simply looks at me and says, let me just take care of that. Now, there are times when I refuse to give God my sin and I harbor it and I hold it. And in ways that only God can do, he begins to point that out to me and, and that's a rough journey for a while. None of us like to have things pointed out that are not quite right in our life, do we? But as we present this to God, he takes it in this beautiful, gentle, and humble way, we find rest. I find those moments just after the spiritual journey or spiritual victory to be such a comforting thing. Anybody ever been there? Where you have really been the recipient of God's mercy and his grace? And you're completely aware of it, like you really know, I have just been served a dish of grace. And it's a beautiful meal as you're in the presence of a Jesus who is humble of heart and gentle and kind and loving and forgiving. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am a gentle and humble teacher. And so before we can invite we have to experience that. Because when we've experienced that, the invitation is that much more sweet. Because the invitation, when I have experienced God's grace, and I really know what it's like and what it tastes like, I can come to a friend and say, God's grace is for you. And you know why I know that? Because his grace is for me. And I've lived it and I've experienced it. And then Eric can go to somebody else and say, buddy, God's grace is for you. Why? Because I've experienced it, because I've lived it, because I know it. 
So often we try to point people to places we've never been. And that's not really effective. We were in Montreal this past week and surprisingly, Suzanne went into this this store and, and they were there a long time and I thought, how long can you stay in one place and, and, and they were there a long time and she came out with only a little bit of stuff I'm like if you were there that long you should have bought more I'm glad she didn't but but actually what she came out with was amazing she said you know believe the, the lady that was there is a foodie I didn't even know such thing existed I think it's this person that just kind of likes food I don't know And this person said, you're here for a while. Here's a list of places you should really try to check out. And the reason why Suzanne believed her is because she said, I've I've been there. And that food is awesome. And so we took the subway and then we walked for 15 minutes. And we were thinking, oh my word. Like, we were going someplace that uh, there's no possible way that there's awesome food here. And we finally found the place, and it's just this little corner dive. And the food was amazing. It was so good. And we believed this lady because she'd been there. And when you share your faith with people, when you express what Jesus has done in you, there's a believability component to that that can't be memorized. You can't just read a book on how to share your faith and then all of a sudden be a perfect faith sharer. The best advice that I can give you is experience it and then express it. Live your faith in the ups and the downs. Live your faith in the failures and the victories. Embrace the journey and watch what God does in you. Pay attention to that. And then share with people because you really can't invite until you've experienced it. And so then we have these four beautiful things. Let me recap for you. Really, it starts out with us experiencing. We experience faith. We experience what God is doing in us. We begin to grow and we share what God is doing in us and we invite people. Now, it's not always that, that linear It's really quite cyclic. And we'll grow a little and then we'll invite and we'll share and we'll experience and grow and invite and experience and share and grow and invite. And these four are a beautiful expression of what's going on in our hearts. And so can I remind you once again, wherever you are on that cycle, the journey is for you. We're glad you're here. Do you know that? I'm glad you're here not just so that I can count how many people are here. We're glad you're here, not just because you can put money in the box. We're glad you're here because we are we. Because we are a community who are serving together and we're growing and we're inviting and God is doing amazing things amongst us. And he's not done yet. Romans chapter 12 helps us to see what happens when all this is lived out. There's a beautiful thing that I didn't read at the end. I just want to read this. My challenge for you is to kind of figure out and embrace those four things. The experiences that you have spiritually, 
the growth that happens that God is doing in your life, the sharing of your story of what God is actually doing, and the inviting of other people to join in with this. Not inviting them to church. Remember, I didn't for a moment say that invitation is about you getting people into these seats. That's a part of it, but not really. The real invitation is inviting people into the presence of Jesus. Inviting people to experience what you've experienced. Inviting people to grow in the way that you've grown. Inviting people to come unto Jesus and take their, his yoke upon them and to learn from him. So this expression in Romans chapter 12 will be our prayer. Listen to it and ask God this week, how can I apply what's in Romans 12? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil but cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. What if we read that every morning before we went off on our daily duties? What if we were reminded every single day that there is a bar that is set really high and it is a bar of love 